You're listening to the B&H Photography Podcast. For over 40 years, B&H has been the professional source for photography, video, audio, and more. For your favorite gear, news, and reviews, visit us at bnh.com or download the BH app to your iPhone or Android device. Now here's your host, Alan White. Greetings and welcome to the B&H Photography Podcast. Today's topic is the state of the stock photography industry. Like all aspects of photography, the landscape has changed greatly in a relatively short period of time. Mid-size and larger agencies have been gobbled up by even larger agencies, which in turn are being challenged by smaller micro-agencies. And then we have Flickr and royalty-free photo outlets. In a word or two, stock photography ain't what it used to be. In this episode, we're going to talk about what it takes to be a stock photographer, if you're in it, fine. If you're not, what you have to do to get into it and hopefully how to succeed in it. Joining me today is my producer and co-pilot, John Harris. Our guests are Paul Melcher, who is the owner of Melcher System, a strategic consultant firm for visual tech startups and the founder of Capture Magazine. Paul was named one of the 100 most influential individuals in American photography by American Photo. Also joining us is photographer Rana Four, who is the former director of photography for Getty Images and is currently the owner and principal photographer for Mother Image, a boutique photo agency specializing in women's lifestyle. Welcome all. Stock has changed, and it's still a big part of the business, but it's changed dramatically. When did stock actually start? When did it become an actual industry? You know, there's a big debate about who started stock. Um... The usual acceptance is is a company like Image Bank is is probably uh, the first. Um, it started, you know. I don't have the, the year. Maybe you, you you know that when it's yeah. Just from from the older days, it started out with people with a, a literally a, a suitcase full of images, and they would start selling them. And that was somewhere in the '30s. And then a lot of the photographers got together as a union and started selling their images, but they weren't unionized. They didn't get that far. So ImageBank came in as sort of the first That was um, the first monster agency monster that I can agency remember. That sort of brought it to a level that was professional. And then some other agencies joined in, Super uh, 4x5, which is now Superstock. I remember Blackstar was Black, out for a long yeah. time. The news agencies came in a right. little earlier. And then they all grew and then got real big and everybody was making money and well, then something y- happened. Y- <laughs> <laughs> Well, they were very separated at first, and then by the end of 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 in categories, uh, and and by the end of the twentieth centuries, you had the emergence of companies like Corbus or Getty, who started regrouping uh, news and commercial stock and and pretty much everything um, royalty free, which was just starting into under one roof, uh, and uh, that kind of already changed the marketplace a lot. Uh, at the same time, you know, in the background, the digital age started with digital cameras and and the digital workflow, uh, which um, allowed for the microstock companies like Shutterstock and, and iStock uh, to emerge. There's a lot of terms being thrown around. We have microstock, we have boutique agencies. We have There's a whole bunch of different categorizations of stock agencies. Could somebody give me a little breakdown of what they are and how they differ? Sure. Um, shall we start with Microstock? Wherever you want. Um, Easy. So Microstock is a model that that came out really with the digital uh, age of photography, where whereby it's really a crowdsourced photo agency where the company accepts photos from anybody and then licenses those images on a purely royalty-free format. It's sort of a, a an exchange platform where 
photographers, anybody uh, can upload photos and then buyers come in and pay with a credit card and it's a little bit more organized than a simple eBay or something like that. There's a structure, there's there's editors that go through the files to to make sure that they have a certain degree of quality uh, and, and size. Uh, but otherwise, it's, it's probably the most automated um, system of... of of commercial stock photography. Boutique, uh, I think you're a better place to, to, to talk about boutique. Well, a boutique agency generally is a small company and it specializes either in subject matter or how they treat photographers as opposed to a generalist agencies which have every subject under the sun. And a boutique agency will most likely have a, a perspective on a certain subject. Uh, so one other thing I should mention about Microstock, and I think it's it's really important, is, is uh, it's there are very technology-based companies which have, which have reduced costs to, to a minimum. So uh, what they do is they price images at very uh, low price point uh, within a um, dollar or a few dollars per image. Some of them have, have uh, like Shutterstock, have the subscription model whereby you pay uh, a monthly fee for uh, a certain amount of, of downloads per day or per month uh, or per year. So they're really uh, volume-based uh, solution. They're, they're great for companies that are that need a lot of images or uh, small Moms and pops companies that just need a cheap image to to uh, post on their on their um, family websites or their their, their local they also company uh, pricing is based on the size of the image as well too no well that's very interesting they used to be uh, and and that has changed recently yes they they uh, a, a, the larger the, the file size uh, the the more expensive the the image uh, but now since they realize that most of the usage is online and, and the file size doesn't matter actually you know 72 dpi is fine and, and the smaller size work fine uh, they kind of all slowly abandoning that format and it's it's one price for for any size and then the large agencies the the Gettys of the world. How many of them are left, actually? <laughs> or, or, and well, the large, well, you know, Getty, obviously, Corbis. Um, then you have companies on, underneath, like Alamy, which is an English-based company, which which has a, uh, a large amount of, of, of images. Uh, and then you have the microstocks, like, like Shutterstock. Uh, but the, the large generalists, I think, would... I, you know, unless I'm forgetting anybody, I would say Alamy and, and Corbis and Getty are, are the three that, that cover the broad range of commercial stock, news photography, sports. And then, you know, recently we see the emergence of, of startups uh, like 500 Pixels or or 2020 uh, that are coming into the market uh, and, and sort of disturbing what has been in place in in, uh, in the past. So it's, you know, it's evolving. It's it's changing rapidly. It's it's mostly changing because the technology in the photography space is, is changing very rapidly also. So the, the commercial stock and the stock photography market has, has somewhat uh, evolved, adapted, um, struggled with uh, the evolution of uh, photography as, as we know it. Uh, and, and there's many, many great things to happen, I think. You say great things. Define great. I'm saying great because, as I said, it's very much linked to, to the evolution of technology and, and 
a lot of what the stock agencies have done in the past was concentrate on print uh, and not so much on, on, on online usage. And and how how we see photography evolving online, the fact that that it's no longer limited to to a flat two-dimensional two image. Uh, it can be moving. You see Apple Live format coming out. You see uh, 360 uh, stills or video uh, coming out and, and VR and things like that. That allows for new models of licensing. What you're talking about is the old model of licensing is basically you rent a picture for a limited uh, amount of time, although that amount of time is extended over uh, the period of history. But um, Is it safe to say that, that, that stock imagery was more stable as a way of monetizing when it was just a print world? Cause it seems that once thing everybody went online, things started to get kind of funny. Absolutely. It's been disturbed by, by the fact that that the usage and the way people consume images have, have changed dramatically. Before you would buy a magazine and, and they're only a limited uh, um, life on the shelf. Now images stay online forever, uh, even if it's it's deeper into the, the websites. Uh, but then again, they offer more, uh, a deeper experience. The challenge for commercial stock photography uh, companies right now is, is redefining how you license an image. Uh, and this is where we're having you know, some, some, some discrepancies, some, some photographers are not getting any money out of it anymore. The companies are doing very well. You can see Shutterstock is, is valued at more than a billion dollars. Um, but in the meantime, it's, it's a great period to experiment and, and, and to see new companies experiments with new models that, that at the end, some of them might end up making more money for photographers than than the old model. But fewer photographers? Because it seems to me, there's also another problem is that we have, there are, there are so many more, photo- I think there's eight times as many photographers in the past 10 years and, and gazillions of more pictures. So imagery is just out there that much more right now. Well, the barrier for entry for photographers lowered down very very quickly. Companies, the microstock companies, are accepting images from from anybody as long as as you can take a picture, you can submit it to them, and if they uh, like what you have, then then um, they'll take it and uh, and license it. So there's there's more photographers, quote unquote. There's more part time photographers that are submitting to these companies that are challenging the professional photographers that were doing this or are doing this full time. Uh, so so in that sense, yes. Um, I don't think there's more professional photographers. I think that that amount has, has remained stable. Um, so, so the competition is is more f- uh, coming from the fact that there's more, again, part-time photographers coming in and, and submitting to that market and 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 competing with professional photographers. Ron, you're coming from Getty Images, which is the big, the big, the, the 500-pound gorilla, and you've also now you're working with smaller agencies, but you've been in the big seat. What's your take on things? How do you see things changing? And what's you, do you like what you see? I think basically things are changing, and not just for photography. I think things are changing all around the world. They're changing for the clients, the ad agencies. So whether I like it or not isn't exactly the question. I think for me, it's more the ability to adapt and move forward. I worked at small agencies starting out, so I've been on the ground. This is from Leo DeWeiss in 1980-whatever. And I've seen those agencies grow on their own and then grow through being aggregated in some of these larger agencies, so Getty and and so forth. Um, 
the agencies are responding to the marketplace. They're not necessarily changing the industry for the sake of changing the industry. They're really changing it as a result of need, what their clients are asking for. Clients are now being asked to get images, just massive amounts of images left and right. And these are different. So these are also different kinds of clients as well. Whereas we used to have these traditional clients, we had the advertising agencies, we had the magazines, we had the textbook publishers, we had, you know, we had these very sort of uniform clients. Fewer more defined. Right. And so they were easier to, to provide solutions for. And I think now the agencies over the last 10 years, there's been this incredible like velocity of like just speed of having to provide new and volume of images. And that's for all the the different websites, the different, you know, people's internal publications, people, you know, it's just email after email that you get has images. Everything has an image now. For me, I'm actually kind of excited by the fact that images are part of our global language at this point. So whether you're speaking English or whether there's a text, you know, I can look at somebody's Facebook page and I can kind of understand what they're posting, whether I can read, (laughs) you know, the Russian that's under it. You know, I can still, I'm getting a communication from somebody. So I think imagery, images whether it's motion or still or VR or whatever it's going to be, is a, is a language that we're now speaking. So That's I think it's, it, it's yeah. different than what we were doing before, which was selling things. Um, I think we're now communicating. So I'm excited about that. I like that analogy of it. We're communicating rather than selling. But if you're a photographer and this is what you do for a living, what do you have to do to stay focused in the stock world, if you want to be able to monetize that? Well, for me, I'm a commercial photographer. A big part of my work is stock photography, but I do all types of photography. It's a volume It's a volume game. Uh, if you want to succeed in that space as a photographer, you have to produce a lot of images and continue and not stop. Um, it, it wasn't always like that, but now, you know, it's 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 just about volume. So you have, you, you have to create a... Um, a flow of production that's continually uh, um, uploading your images to to the companies you're working with. Uh, at the same time, you have to keep a very, very close eye on your budgets and how much it costs you to produce those images. You have to be somewhat of of, of an accountant and, and sort of calculate and look at your sales and see what is beneficial for you and what is not based on cost and, and sales. Uh, you know, the good news about... Um, our current world is that you can look and get some um, market intelligence by looking at what's selling, uh, what's on on the sites, what other photographers are are offering. So you can create your your own uh, offering based on 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 what you see out there. Before it used to be in, in drawers and libraries, so you could never see that. So now it's 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 kind of an advantage. But but I would say the number one priority if you want to succeed in that space is just to to produce a lot of content and and to keep on producing it. It's a lot of work. Uh, it's it's probably a lot of a stress too because it's not always uh, rewarding. But but um, you have to to keep on the long term and and just produce 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 produce. What about visual marketing platforms? You have agencies like uh, Olapak, uh, Curulate, Shoot, where you have your picture there and all of a sudden you have your little pop-ups coming up and little things of that sort. What are your thoughts about that? 
I'm not sure. I Olympic, you mean? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And shoot, they're they're a competition to, to the the commercial stock market because they they go and and, and curate uh, Instagram and places like that to find images from from individuals uh, that represent the products of companies they're working for, so that those companies can post those images on on their blogs or or, or website or e-commerce website. I, I personally find that to be an amazing approach. I think that's really bright. But I wonder how for, it for, work out. For them, yes, but they don't pay any license fees or anything to to the photographers or the people that took the pictures and posted them on Instagram. Well, well hold on. So, so if, if, if I take a picture and there's, say, a can of Coke in there and an agency working with Coke is out there grazing, looking for images, and they find my picture and there's a can of Coke and they want to have a little pop-up thing or a banner or something come up on my picture, I don't get paid for that? Oh, wait. We're talking about two different things here. Olympic and, and shoot are different. You're talking about in-image advertising where you have a pop-up on yeah, the image. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's more companies like GumGum or, or Snaptag okay. or, or places like that. Um, and to answer your question, no, you don't get anybody from that. Uh, they, they work the same model uh, that that you see advertising on YouTube videos, basically, except that that uh, they don't. You, they, there's no revenue sharing with with the photographer. Um, the, the publisher uh, gets revenue sharing from from uh, from those companies, and and obviously the companies that that do the technology, but the photographers don't get anything out of it. Raise your hand if you're happy about that. Uh, no hands. Okay. Uh. <laughs> Very interesting environment we're in here, that's all I can say. Just to add, I think one of the things that you were talking about was to be very targeted about um, what you're shooting, what you're producing, and that just to go further with that is to really have a good relationship with your agent. And once you develop that and some of the, the, the creative research that you're talking about, which is to get a sense of what's going on, that is written out for you by agencies. They are producing that for photographers in beautiful, you know, websites. And they have, um, you know, they, they spend a lot of time and a lot of money trying to educate the photographers as to what's out there and what's selling and what will help them. So as long as the photographers are making money, the agencies will be making money because they're not going to be able to get the content and they're not actually doing the same kind of budgets and commissions that they were doing, the work for hire is not being done at this point and at the level that they were. So they're really relying on photographers. Let's say, for example, I'm a photographer and I have been shooting for 10 years and I have a, a backlog of images, things that I shot for an assignment that never got used or even shots of my kids. What can I do with them? What would you do with them? What, how, who would you approach? Is that a model to make any money or is it kind of a waste of time? It's a lot of time. Mm -hmm. I think it really also depends on the images and the subject. Mm -hmm. So your kids, uh, I don't know that I would suggest doing the three month long edit. And then all this, like if it's film, you have to scan it. If it's, you know, depending on how far back we're talking about, uh, I think the agencies have their fill of backlogged images. I think as a photographer, the only thing you might add to it is a magical moment where it's just spectacular. So it's if it's at the level of, you know, family of man photography and it's something that, uh, you know, is is um, 
special. I think that would make sense. I'm not sure that going through, I wouldn't go through my own archive, mm-hmm. actually. And I have plenty that's there that hasn't been touched. Mm-hmm. Um, There's this myth that you can just submit your family photos to some place out there and get this constant stream of revenue coming in. And of course, there's also this this myth of the, uh, as we were calling it yesterday, the lottery image, you know, that one shot that may make you $50,000 because somebody needs it. And it just seems to be a myth. Well, it's more like history. It's not a myth. <laughs> That's it's factual. Uh, I mean, you know, the, that cloud shot that would earn a hundred thousand dollars every year mm-hmm. was is true. Mm-hmm. That did happen. Oh, so it does happen. Okay, it, great. Well, it did happen. <laughs> it did happen. Um, okay. I think there are shots. Definitely, there there is the the money shot. Mm-hmm. I mean, there is that thing. It's definitely not as common I as think, it used to be. You know, it's interesting. I think it still happens, but not the same way. Before right. it used to be one license or one license with one company. In the case, I think you're talking about the Microsoft picture. No, this is, this is from old catalog stuff where we would... But the cloud picture, was it the background from... Uh, oh, that no, that's a, I, don't, I think that's probably more. God, I hope they got more than that. <laughs> in the past, it used to be one license, one image sold to one company that, that could bring you a lot, uh, a lot of money. Now it's uh, it's more of one image that will be, get used a lot by different companies for a lesser price point. So, so when you accumulate it, then it comes out to a substantial amount. Um, you see that in microstock. And that you, you used to see in in stock, um, <clears throat> sorry, rights managed uh, all the time. I mean, we used to track the, the sales of catalog shots, and it was definitely a cloud shot. Would Can make you actually, 000. either of you explain rights managed and royalty free just to get uh, a sense uh yeah sure rights managed is is um when a client wants to use an image and put some restrictions on it um both in time of of how long they're going to use the image and also in what space they want to protect uh from other competing companies to to use the same image uh, so that's why it's called rights managed because you actually have to discuss with with your client as a stock and photo. And of course, they, they pay more for that. They pay more because they they basically forbid the stock agency to license that images that image as as much as they possibly could. Uh, so in exchange, they pay more for for the rights to to. And be will that translate to the photographer? Will the photographer that translate? Yes, uh, stock photo agencies work on a commission basis. So so a photographer that that submits images to to those agencies get anywhere from 20% to 50% these days, I think, uh, in a very, very rare cases, a little bit more, but but that's the average. So so every time an image is sold, then the stock agency uh, splits that revenue with the photographer uh, on those basis. Royalty-free uh, is basically allows um, a client to, to use that image multiple times in different formats um, without having to justify. Uh, they basically pay once and multiple usage. In exchange, they cannot ask for the, the rights to be the only one to use that image. So, so there's a risk that their competition might use the same image. Uh, and there's no way to know because um, the stock photo agency is not responsible for informing them who who else was was using the image so that's more of a volume uh based um retribution for the photographer because the same image could be used thousands or hundred thousands of times 
whereby a, a, a right minded image might be used only five times or ten times, but but eventually, if bring, it's the right image and the right account and the right company paying for it, it could be right. And it's it's a it's a difficult balance. But as Rhonda said, your relationship with your stock photo agency is really important because they will help you create those images that that will have a better chance to to succeed in front of their clients. They know their clients very well. Uh, as a photographer, you know photography very well, and so if you have a, a great relationship, then then there's a there's a match that happens, and and that magic uh, happens sometimes. Is it easy to maintain a relationship with an agency right now? Because again, there are so many people submitting pictures. My experience is that it's very easy. Um, I mean, we're all incredibly busy. They are very busy, but they're this is what they do. Um, it's harder than it was. But if I reach out to a new agency and, and even with, with Mother Image, which is a small, it's a boutique agency, we have almost like a photographer uh, agency relationship. So we get advice on where the images should be placed. So whether it's royalty free or rights managed, um, rights managed traditionally, they select fewer images and that is so that they can control the rights easier. Mm -hmm. So it's not mm -hmm. just the individual shot that gets selected. It's the sisters, the similars along with it. So those will be limited as well. Um, so volume-wise, what Paul is saying is that volume is part of the game and, and has always been and has just increased tremendously. Um, you want to have more images selected. So as a photographer, you have to weigh what your production costs were and, and where you might want to place the images, and the agency will help you do that. I've not had a problem making new relationships with agencies. I, I think they're, for the most part, very open to it. I mean, they're looking for somebody who is, it's give and take, so they're looking gotcha. for a partner, and collaborating is huge. You know, it depends on on what type of agencies you're working with. Uh, Maronda says it's very true to, to small and niche agencies uh, where where they take care more of the photographers. If if you go on the other side, companies like Shutterstock or iStock or the Microstock companies, um, they don't have um, a special care for photographers since they're volume-based, since they get images from from people all over the world, uh, and they try to limit their costs to, to the minimum. They don't have a particular one-on-one uh, -on -one relationship with photographers. Uh, they issue some some newsletters and things like that to, to help the masses of photographers that are submitting, but but they don't seek out or, or, or help photographers. If they lose one, they don't, they don't even know if they lose photographers or not, actually, because they just get huge volume of images submitted. Um, but in the case of Mother Image or, or, or other smaller stock photo agencies, it's the complete reverse. They have almost a, a family relationship with, with the photographers that, that, they, that they sometimes know for 10 years, 15 years, uh, have dinner with, you know, it's it's very close relationship. That's up to the photographer to decide what type of relationship they, they want. If they feel more comfortable, they should go with smaller niche photography, uh, stock photography uh, um, companies. If they prefer, you know, not having any relationship besides receiving a payment every month, then they should go with, you know, the Shutterstock or iStock where um, they're basically on their own. And, and, and I, I would just add to that as well is that there's an element of um, understanding 
the needs of the agency and what you can provide and what you know as a photographer, that there's a learning curve. So as somebody coming into this new, I would say absolutely work with a smaller agency um, and that they would be able to guide you through this. It's it's a professional industry. So coming into this, you have to understand everything from model releases to um, what your responsibilities are in terms of educating your your models. You have to make sure that they understand that you are going to exploit their image commercially. And I literally say that to people so that it's it's very clear. There's no second guessing. So that will eliminate big problems later on. And those are legal issues and things like understanding copyright and understanding, you know, property release and at what point do you need. These are all very fine and finessed things that have, we're both members of Digital Licensing Media Association. So, it, and that's formerly the PACA, Picture Agency Council of America. Um, and so these are all the things that as a, a person providing imagery into the commercial space, you have to understand. And this would apply for anyone applying, working at, let's say, a boutique agency or a micro mm-hmm. stock, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you, the same goes if you just want to submit 100 photos to to iStock Photo or something along those lines, you need to get your rights in order and cover your own self. That's not the job of the agency. It's your job. As right. And some agencies require, um, you know, that you are going to make not hold them responsible for you are you are providing everything clean and clear um so there's liability issues and uh, you know not to scare anybody but but it is a it's a commercial space so the images are being used commercially on a at times a big global scale so the the, the idea with Flickr and and images having so the idea also with editorial type images, things that you, you know, street photography, that kind of thing. Um, All along, those images have been used, but there used to be agencies that would clear rights. So there was just somebody sitting in an office and figuring out who took that picture and how can they clear the rights. And so these are all things that the agencies are now doing also with their editorial work. So they're, they're getting this increased base. So it's everything from the Flickr shot that somebody wants to use, a Getty client wants to use a Flickr shot, they will clear that image and they'll get all the rights. But in those cases are rare. If you have your work out there commercially, you have to be, you're responsible for that. If for somebody who's first getting into stock, say uh, they've been taking pictures for a while or they have a large archive, does it matter if you have a particular niche that you're good at or it, could you be just a good, what I call a shotgun photographer where you could just walk down the avenue and just pull cherry images out of the sky and you have great stuff, but it's random. What's, it, it, does, does it make a difference or is it really the quality of the work that would attract an agency? I think you you can succeed in both with both backgrounds. Um, you know, stock is is – is a special beast in so much as you know you're creating images for for others or for companies to use it as as a message uh, for their brands or products. So so whatever you're creating for stock has to have that dimension where where it's just not 
a picture that you like or you think is pretty. It's something that has a, a meaning, uh, an intent that, that will engage the people that are looking at it and engage them in a way that that uh, is convenient for the brand using it. It's kind of a, a little different than, than just... Uh, taking pictures for yourself or, or or things that you like. You have to think that who is your client. In general, as a photographer, you have to think who is your client. And, and in stock, it's a little bit more complicated so much as your client could be anybody or, or everybody. It could be the dentist, you know, uh, creating his new website or, or it could be, uh, as we talked about before, Coca-Cola deciding to want to do a campaign of, of something uh, using an exciting image. So every time you take a picture and you're thinking about about uh, doing pictures for, for commercial stock, you have to think about this, this wide possibilities of usage that, that your image can, can have uh, and be also very careful in, in not including things that people cannot use in their images. You know, one, one very common example is that obviously any photo with, with a logo in it will never be used in, in stock, uh, first because you don't have the rights, and then second, no other company is going to use an image with with a different logo in it or, or things like that. So so. It's a different um, frame of mind that you have to keep. You know, what what I say to photographers when, when they want to enter stock or, or they're talking to me about this business is always the same. And, and I think it was true in, in the 80s or 90s. Stock should be your second um, occupation, whether it's the outtakes from a shoot that you took, whether it's ideas that you had for a shoot that, that eventually you, you produce yourself because it's actually good for stock. But it should not, I, I really don't think it should be your, your number one and only source of revenue as a photographer. Um, and Ron, I could, could speak much better about this. I don't think it's as, as rewarding as, as, as working for a client directly. Uh, I don't think it's, it's rewarding as an artistic you know, reward. And, and financially, I think it's, it's probably not as, as rewarding as that. And, and there's so many other things that can be done. Uh, you know, we're talking about technology and, and, and the way um, the market and photography is evolving. You know, I see these companies that have Instagram accounts or or, or, or Facebook accounts or, or Twitter accounts and Snapchat, and and they have an extraordinary need of of for photography. They don't have to feed those social media channels that they have, and those are, are getting more and more important for them. And 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 they don't have anybody on staff to do that. And sure, they can buy and license some images from Shutterstock and Getty here and there, but it's it doesn't show their 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 own company culture and and many times I've said to photographers why don't you rent yourself as a photographer to one of these companies and take over their Instagram account for a month or, or for two months and say let me let me hang out in in your in your factories and with my iPhone and take pictures of what you guys do but using my my talent as a photographer and we can post that on your Instagram account or, or things like that um, I see that as a huge market and, and, and challenging, but very interesting for photographers. Could you do me, th- don't tell anybody about this because I want to check this out personally <laughs> sure, before sure. it gets out. Uh, but coming back to stock, I think, you know, it should be, it's, it's a great second income, I think, uh, especially if you have the time, because again, as Rhonda said, and I, I, I second that, it takes a lot of time to, to edit, to make sure you have all the, the paperwork, to to get some understanding of, of the, the market and, and, and what people are using and things like that. I think it's, it's you're better off as, as, as a second occupation. You were asking about specializing. I'm a jack of all trades and master of whatever I'm doing that day is basically <laughs> how I look at it. Um, stock 
definitely is a part of my income. It's a big part of my income. It's a big part of my thought process, but it's actually not what I do every day. I am a a commercial photographer responding to clients and jobs and assignments. And so that's where my, my day. But you wear two hats, right? Because you, you shoot, and I, I guess some of your outtakes or some of the things you may happen to catch, you sell as stock, but you also have a, an agency where right. you're, you're hiring or not hiring, but you're using the work of other photographers, correct? So I am the primary photographer for Mother Image, as well as we do have um, additional really great photographers that sort of are broadening the scope, but it started out with a very small base. So we're now expanding. Um, so we're bringing in photographers with different visions. They It all works within our base, which is really focused on what I left Getty and to spend time with my family. So my focus was to do what I to shoot what I love. And that's what I used to tell photographers day in, day out, shoot what you love. And so my focus was my family. So that's where mother and both Susan and I, that's where our focus was. And so we started Mother Image, where one of the, the things that we had heard as both of us working at Getty was that clients are looking for authentic images. So we decided to, well, here we are. We are it's sitting in authenticity right here. <laughs> um, so started shooting from literally shooting what was in my backseat of mm-hmm. the car and my kids strapped I think that's in. A big, and, that's something that we see um, as a major change in mm-hmm. terms of the images we see now. In, in your case is a good example. We're seeing these kind of and, and authentic the, shots. Yeah. And the, the thing is that authentic still, I would still, I still produce it. So it's not literally carrying the camera around and snapping my kids. It's it's, yeah. it's actually producing, it's thinking through the concept. So what Paul was saying about the images having a message. So it doesn't, it's not necessarily the image and it's not the subject particularly that's going to make it sell or not, it's what the message is, what the image is communicating. So we're kind of back to that. I mean, it really has to communicate something. So whether it's a concept, it could be a business concept, but you're actually shooting two kids, you know, sitting there brainstorming and they're drawing pictures of, of clouds and whatever. So you can make that into a business brainstorming concept. So that's what Mother Image is focused on doing. Would you say that your model or the model of Mother Images is something that another photographer could, should follow in the sense that embrace what they're doing, what they love, what they have around them, turn it into an agency and then get those photos out there? Or it doesn't have to be an agency. It can be a production so uh, agency is is not agency involves not right word, additional yeah, yeah People, additional yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, overhead and mm-hmm. and requirements. Do you but, think yeah. it's possible then for somebody to kind of make a go at it just in, in this sense, just kind of turn putting out the images that they like to create, even if they just let's say hang a shingle, open up you know start a website. There are so many different business models now, and I don't know if Paul can speak to that better, but um, there are non-royalty-free, non-exclusive royalty-free. So yes, you can hang your shingle out there, but again, it's volume and who's going to see the image. So whether you hang your shingle out there, can you actually get the clients to see your image? So somebody like... It's about marketing also, obviously. You can't just say, here I am, because who are you talking to? Exactly. So the bigger agencies are making that accessible. They're, They're looking for high production. They'll 
provide the marketing, but they're also opening up the business models so you don't have to be exclusive. So you can actually sell your own images at the same time as they're licensing them. So there are a lot more options now than there were. This is a question I had from prior in the conversation, but uh, is it possible to... uh predict a budget or what you might bring in each year? Because you were talking, obviously, as a photographer, you need to understand these things. But can you really predict, at least uh, with your size of, of your agency, what you expect to make each year and, and how these images will do? Or is it just kind of hope for the best? It's definitely changed. I'd say the last 10 years, it's a different number that we're looking at, a different equation that you're looking at. So, but the, the coming up with the equation is the same. So you're looking at your sales, you're looking at your volume of images and where they're placed. And, you know, you can do everything from detailed spreadsheets to now, I mean, you can download your sales, your, your monthly royalty statements, and you can actually, you know, plug them into an Excel spreadsheet and you can do a year by year analysis, or you can do a, you know, time. I mean, you can do all sorts of things. And I would definitely recommend that. It used to be that the shelf life of an image was far longer. Um, So anywhere from 10 to 15 years. At this point, I'm still selling images at a certain small agency, which I won't mention, um, but I'm still selling images. So they're, they're still there. I haven't submitted in over 10 years to this agency, and I'm still receiving royalties. And as a photographer, um, would you recommend spreading yourself out amongst different agencies? It depends or? on your volume. Mm-hmm. It really depends on how much you're going to produce. Because as Paul is saying, volume, I think it's volume and your relationship at the same time. So it's volume and what you're shooting and the subject. Um, but I would, it depends. I'm spread out. I, that's how I like to be. I like to know that you know, if that's not working, that's working. Yeah, no, that's, <laughs> so, that's a good strategy. And, that's, yeah. and, and that, I think, has helped me survive. Yeah, I think to answer your question, it, it depends on, on a multiple factor. First, I think, is, is your personality. If you want to deal with, with multiple stock agencies or not, if you have the time also because it's different royalties, it's different people to talk to. Uh, I think it also depends on what type of content you, you create. And then third, there's, there's always this ongoing you know, debate between photographers. Some are very, very happy by being an exclusive with an agency. Usually what you gain from that is that you get a higher royalty rate for for being exclusive with that agency. Getty and, and Corbis and others have these special programs where where if you do not submit to anybody else, you get 10% royalty more or, or something like that. Uh, so some people are very comfortable with that. Others are like, well, I make more money by spreading it out to as many agencies as I can. So it's, you know, it, it varies. Depends on your mindset, I guess. Yeah. And then, and then again, I think how, how, to me, it would be more a question of time because you have to manage all these relationships <laughs> and make sure you know where you sent what images to whom and, and if they paid you and, you know, things like that. Uh, but some some photographers are very comfortable at doing that. My impression is that, and I'm sure it's not just mine alone, is that rates have gone down. I mean, a lot of photography is absolutely free. What can you do if you are a photographer and you are doing this or you want to start doing this? What would you, what kind of photo- photographs would you be taking that would perhaps be a little bit more uh, bulletproof from being just given away? 
There's no That's magic. That's not an easy one. There's no, there's no magic bullet. No. I can't tell you, oh, if you take a picture of this and looking like that with that type of light, you're going to make a fortune. But there's there's some parameters that you can keep in mind. For, for one thing, I think the most obvious one is is create exclusive content. That means that, that nobody else can have the same image, whether it means that you're in a location that nobody else can reach, uh, whether your, your model situation, you, you see that, for example, very much in, in to use an example, uh, extreme sports, for example, where you have these incredible images that is uh, hard for any other photographer to, to replicate. One element that we haven't really touched upon, you know, a lot of the stock photography that you see, uh, is, is, partly or heavily retouched with Photoshop and sometimes elements are being included in post-processing. I'm not saying that about your pictures, obviously, but uh, <laughs> you see that a lot on, on a microstock space also. So there are some some photographers that are extremely good at, at, at creating concept images by using elements of two or three photos that they take themselves. They don't they don't steal from anywhere else. And and recreating a, a conceptual image that, that actually has a, a lot of value. So so that's another way to be exclusive. With so many more photographers out there right now, is it harder to get into an agency like Corbis and Getty? They're still looking for photographers. They're absolutely looking for photographers, but I think they're looking for photographers that are educated in what needs to be done and that are coming with a vision and a, a knowledge base. The past 10 years have been pretty crazy as far as how it's changed. What do you feel about the next 10 years? You know, like we touched upon at the, at the beginning, I think what we're going to see is a widening of the type of format that we call photography. Uh, it's no longer going to be the simple flat to the image, uh, partly moving with depth. Uh, we see it with VR and, and upcoming uh, this year and, and things like that. So, so photography is is as an object, if I can name it like that, is is going to evolve and 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 behind it, or along with it, the way people license uh, or pay to use those images, whether it's on assignment for for hiring photographers or, or on a stock aspect of it. You know, we see um, Getty last year just released a lot of their images, I think 35 million, uh, where people can use it for free by just using an embed code. The idea behind that is is not for Getty to, to just give their collection for free. What, what they're doing is enabling a, a, to spread out their content on multiple websites so that they can gather traffic. Uh, and against that, they can start selling ads. You know, the pop-up ads we mm -hmm, were talking mm -hmm. about earlier. Uh, so instead of licensing those images directly to the publishers, they give those images for free and, and down the line, they'll be adding some advertising on those images and Getty will make revenue, not on the licensing fee, but on, on the advertising, um, and the traffic that it generates. So there's much more money to be made on, uh, with that type of, of model than there is with, with the traditional licensing, especially the online licensing where you're talking about a few dollars per, per usage. We're going to see that evolve and, and, and grow. And that's that's going to be, uh, especially if Getty succeeds in implementing that, you're going to see a lot of other stock photo agencies running uh, behind and, and replicating that model. Yahoo had announced last year that they're going to open Flickr to commercial sales. And this is a commercial stock photo agency also. Uh, and and we're going to see more of entry in the markets like that from, from pictures taken by everybody you know, entering the stock photo market and being available for, for anybody to license. Any thoughts? One of the things for me is, is uh, 
people wanting their own brand images. That's where, where I'm focused on. So while I shoot stock, I also do a lot of work with, as you were saying a little bit, with agencies who want their own company covered in the same way that I would a stock shoot. So I've already been doing that a lot. So I think branding, I think clients are moving both towards and away from stock. I think that there's, you know, um, there's a lot of room for a lot of photographers. <laughs> is, is the, is the word stock photo even valid anymore? You know, I, I think it's, it's going to remain. Um, not everybody has the means or, or the needs to hire a photographer for a shoot. And there's a few companies that are doing what is called stock on demand, where as, as a brand, you can just type in what type of images you need on your phone or, or your desktop. And that message is broadcasted to, to thousands of photographers worldwide. And, and either they can look into their own private library of, of images or, or they can, if they want to go out and shoot it and then submit it back to to the client and then the client decides which one they like and pay for for that one and, and not the others uh so so that could be something that that changes the market instead of having these massive you know 50 million dollar 50 million uh images sorry uh databases which are expensive to maintain and you instead have 50 million photographers waiting or you know, accessible via their, their phones. Waiting by their phones. Yeah. And and they actually keep on handling their private collection on on their desktops and, and things and just submitting when there's a need. Mm -hmm. uh, that evolution might happen. There's right now we're we're just at the beginning of that. So it's it's unclear whether it's gonna succeed or not. But but that would be a, a different format, yes. Thank you, Paul. Thank you, Rana. Thank you, John Harris, our producer, and Jason Tables, our engineer. To see more of Rana's work, go to ranafour.com. That's R-A-N-A-F-A-U-R-E.com. To learn more about what Paul is doing, go to meltrasystem.com. Give us your opinions on Twitter at BH Photo Video with the hashtag BH Photo Podcast. And please leave a review for us on iTunes. It's much appreciated. My name is Alan Weitz. Thank you for joining us today.